1 Timothy chapter 6, we'll begin on verse 3. This is the word of the Lord. If anyone teaches a different doctrine and does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the teaching that accords with godliness, he is puffed up with conceit and understands nothing. He has an unhealthy craving for controversy and for quarrels about words, which produce envy, dissension, slander, evil suspicion, and constant friction among people who are depraved in mind and depraved of the truth, imagining that godliness is a means of gain. But godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into the world and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. Uh, I'd like to begin by asking two questions. Uh, the first question is this. Do you desire to be rich? I'm not asking, are you rich? And I'm not saying that I can make you rich. I'm asking, do you desire to be rich? For those of you who are rich, do you want to continue to be rich? And for those of you who aren't, do you want to be rich? If you are really honest with yourself, most, if not all of us, would say, yes, yes. Uh, right now, I'm reading the book Animal Farm with my oldest son, Caleb, and we're only two chapters in, but two chapters was enough for him to have a bit of an awakening. In the first chapter, if you recall, all the animals, they're inspired by uh, Old Major and his speech. He gives this speech uh, that animals should have freedom, that they should be freed from human bondage, and that all animals should be treated equally. Of course, this is a larger metaphor on, on human society. Now, the animals, they're inspired by this, and the very next chapter, they rebel, and the humans are kicked off the farm, and they can finally live in utopia. But the chapter ends with all the animals having just tasted this freedom. They go off to the harvest joyfully, but when they return, they notice that all the milk is gone. Now at this point, Caleb, my son, he's wondering, where did the milk go? And I tell him, you have to read between the lines. And I have him read the last paragraph over and over and over again until he finally notices Napoleon the lead pig stayed behind, and he took all the milk for himself. Now, when Caleb realized this, he was, he was shocked, he was befuddled, because his sense of justice was just wrecked. And he, his eyes opened wide, and he asked, how could he do such a thing? Didn't they just fight for equality? So at that point, I had to sit him down and give him a little sermon, right? a little sermonette, 
and said, Caleb, that's human nature, and the Bible calls it sin. We all want and desire to have more than other people. And of course, I had to remind him, I saw you do that 10 minutes ago with your younger brothers. You're Napoleon too. Uh, guilt parenting. <laughs> it works. <laughs> um, you know, all of us desire to have more than others. Now, most of us will never say this outright. Uh, you won't hear anyone say, I want to be rich, right? Because that, that just sounds so evil, right? I want to be rich. It's so like 1990s. But instead, we we mask it, and we say things like, well, I just want to be comfortable, or I want financial security. There's a new phrase being thrown around a lot, and that's financial independence. Financial independence. And that just means amassing all of this capital and wealth so that You can live the rest of your life off of dividends, interest, and passive income. That's the very definition of rich. But we call it financial independence. So the first question, do you desire to be rich? If we're honest with ourselves, most of us would say, or all of us would say, yeah. Now the second question I want to ask is this. Do you desire a life of contentment? And do you desire godliness? Now, this question might require a bit more soul-searching. But again, I think most, if not all of us, would say yes. I think we all feel that life is a bit too complicated, and we deeply long for simplicity. See, this is why nostalgia is so powerful. When we look back, we remember a time where we had so little yet was so content. And deep down inside, we want to be content again. So do we want a life of contentment? I think so. Now, regarding godliness, if you are a Christian, deep down inside, you do desire this. You desire a life of devotion to God. There is in us this desire for wanting a healthy fear of the Lord, an unshakable commitment to God. And so within Christians, there is, I think, a desire for both. There's a desire to be rich and a desire for godliness coupled with contentment. Now, today's passage that we have in front of us tells us the sobering truth that we cannot hold on to both. If you choose one, you will forfeit the other. And what I want to do today is I just simply want to unpack this difficult truth. And hopefully at the end of it, you will let go of one and grab a hold of the other. Now today's passage, I think, presents two things. First, it presents the dangers of desiring to be rich And the second, it presents the great gain of godliness and contentment. Now, I just want you to know, next week, uh, we'll actually be talking more about money and the characteristics of money. We'll be talking about the the, uh, finality of life, how life is short, and how we are to use riches in this world. Uh, But today, I just want to talk about the dangers 
uh, of desiring to be rich. Okay, so now, again, for those of you who might be thinking, well, this message is not for me because I'm not rich, um, it's actually, this passage is talking about those who desire to be rich, okay? So if you are rich and you want to continue, it's speaking to you. If you're not, but you want it, it's also speaking to you, okay? So first, the dangers of desiring to be rich. And this is what Paul writes in 1 Timothy 6, 9. He says this, but those, of, but those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. I, I want you to notice just the strong images being used here by Paul to describe the desires to be rich. Two words in particular stick out for me, and that's snare and plunge. Snare and plunge. The word snare used here is actually a hunting device. It's a hunting device used to catch animals. And so Paul is saying those who desire to be rich are like these wide-eyed animals roaming around in the wild that's filled with hunters who have set up traps. The word plunge here, those who desire to be rich plunge themselves into ruin and destruction. This word actually means to drown. So Paul is saying, if you desire to be rich, you're like someone swimming or wading deep in the ocean, not knowing that the rip currents are coming. You are going to drown. But you're not going to drown in water, but you're going to drown in ruin and destruction. You know, I think this is the irony. Why is it that people want to be rich? They want to be rich because they think it will bring stability. But look at what Paul says. The words he uses, fall, plunge, snare, temptations, and in verse 10, pangs, piercing. See, Paul is painting these vivid pictures saying that those who desire to be rich are always on unstable ground. That those who desire to be rich, their life is characterized not by stability, but by unpredictability. That those who desire to be rich, their life is actually erratic and uncertain. Paul is saying the very grounds that you walk on is filled with landmines. And just because you were successful with your previous 10 steps does not mean you will be successful with the next one. I think many of us agree that desiring to be rich, or as Paul says in verse 10, the love of money is quite a dangerous thing. We've seen it before, we've heard it, and the Bible attests to it. But do you know what's more dangerous than desiring money? It's thinking that I'm exempt from it. Thinking I'm above this. Thinking I'm different. Just give me money, watch. I'm not like that. And if that's you, I can say confidently, you have already fallen into the snare. You've already fallen into what Paul says is senseless desires. 
foolish desires. Uh, there is this general understanding in the world that rich people are smart. We tend to think, oh, rich people are smart. And maybe that's the case. Perhaps, perhaps that person was smart before he or she became rich. But once a person becomes rich, the Bible says there's a likely chance that that person becomes a fool. Why? Because a rich person trusts in his riches. And there's nothing more foolish than trusting in riches. A rich person can become a fool. Why? Because a rich person doesn't take advice from people. A rich person doesn't listen to what other people say. A rich person can become a fool. Why? Because rich people tend to think, oh, I was successful in this one area. I can be successful in everything. Rich people are filled with hubris and arrogance, thinking they can do anything that they have the Midas touch, that whatever they do, they can make it to become successful. Rich people can become fools. Why? Verse 10. Those who desire it, if you have this desire, it can cause some to wander away from the faith. You'll give up that which is most precious to attain riches. Friends, this is the textbook definition of foolish. I know the movie, the recent movie Parasite, tells the story about how rich people are actually foolish. But Jesus himself tells a story about a man who was both rich and a fool. Sometimes foolishness and riches go together. And what he says in verse 10, that they fall into senseless desires. He's saying they fall into foolish desires. So desiring to be rich, Paul says, is quite dangerous. And because of this, you have to use everything you have to avoid it. Avoid the desire to be rich. And instead, he says this in verse 6, but godliness with contentment is great gain. What does this mean? Well, first, let's, let's go through godliness, godliness. The, the word, the, de the definition for this word, I think most of us are familiar with it. Godliness is devotion towards God. It's piety. It's a commitment and unwavering loyalty to God. Now, while the Bible says, certainly, this is something we should pursue. We should pursue a life of devotion and commitment to God. If we just end with this definition, if we just say, you know what? The way to life is for us to pursue God. We are going to fall short. And I think with this word godliness, there's another layer to understanding what Paul is getting at. If you look at two chapters ahead in 1 Timothy 3.16, this is what he says. Great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness. And after Paul says this, he goes on to describe the work of Jesus. In other words, he starts to talk about the gospel. And so for Paul, the mystery of the gospel is actually the mystery of godliness. Now, when Paul says here, we should pursue godliness, 
He's not saying, hey, listen, the way to life is just fear the Lord, be devoted to him, be committed to him, because that in itself is not going to bring, uh, it's not going to bring contentment. In fact, if we live our life just pursuing God, fearing him, and being committed to him, that can actually bring doubt. But rather, what Paul is saying is this. In our pursuit of God, our pursuit of godliness has to be rooted in the original mystery of godliness. It has to be rooted in the work of Jesus. Now, once we see now that the canvas behind godliness is actually the gospel, then I think we begin to see clearly what Paul is actually getting at. We begin to see, oh, this is what Paul means by contentment. See, when Paul is saying pursue godliness with contentment, he's actually talking about the gospel. You know, contentment, I think, is sometimes used negatively in the world. It's almost like settling, right? You think, oh, well, I don't have everything, but you know what? I'll just be content. You know what? I don't have everything I want or need, but you know what? I'll just be happy because I know a lot of people who don't even have what I have. Well, friends, let me tell you, this is not Christian contentment. When the Bible tells us that we can be content, the Bible says we can be content because in Jesus we have received everything. In other words, because we have received everything, we don't need anything And that is Christian contentment. Because the work of Jesus is finished, because it is complete, and because it overflows, because God's grace is actually more than enough, the Bible says we can be content. You see, friends, there's nothing lacking in the work of Jesus. Because he loved us completely, he died for us decisively, And he rose again for us powerfully. And because this work is so perfect, we can actually be content. Christian contentment is not settling, but it's actually being filled where you overflow and you say, you know what, I don't need anything because I have everything. You know, if if I can use an analogy to describe this, uh, it's a lot like a buffet. Now, I am not one for buffets, okay? Because, you know, buffets are usually quantity over quality. And as you can tell, I'm a quality guy, right? (laughs) I worked hard on that line. (laughs) Thank you for laughing. (laughs) But sometimes, sometimes I would find a buffet where the quality is actually top-notch. And I let myself go a little bit at those places. Now, when I go to these buffets, of course, you go in with the strategy, right? You gotta go for the most expensive food. So yes, I go for lobster, for crab, for oysters, and for pizza. (laughs) I'm just kidding. But I, I go for all the delicious little sea creatures. And once I'm filled, after having this delicious meal, 
after having filled my little tummy with these delicious sea creatures, I throw in the towel and I say, I'm done. I'm finished. I'm content. And I say, I'm content because I'm filled. Now, occasionally, a family member or friend would come with a plate of something else and they say, hey, have you tried this? This is really good. And I look down at the plate and I say, ah, it's just fried rice. I'm okay. I'm content. And they insist, no, you should try it. It's really good. It's the best fried rice I've ever had. And I know it might sound smug, but I look at it and I say, you know what? I'm good. I've had the best that the buffet has to offer. I'm full. And I will be all right if I don't have that. I'm content. Church, this is godliness with contentment. It is tasting and experiencing the best, Jesus himself, where everything else is pale in, compar in comparison. And whatever it is, whether it's money, career, respect, prestige, fame, whatever it is that the world has to offer, you know, you don't have to have it. Because you can look down at it and say, ah, it's just how special fried rice. There's nothing special about it. <laughs> He's one of those friends. <laughs> have you tried this? <laughs> Because you're filled with the best, you say, you know what? I don't need it. And this is what Paul is saying when he says, this is, this is his confession. All I need is food and clothing, right? That's what he says in today's passage. You know, if I have food and clothing, I'm content. And Paul is saying this not because he's a minimalist. He's not saying this because he's advocating for poverty or destitution. No, he's saying, you know what? I just need food and clothing. Why? Because I am rich. I am rich beyond comparison. I am rich in the gospel, and I don't need anything. There's nothing else that's going to fill me more, that's going to make me more content than, I'm actually, than, I'm actually, than I actually am right now. You know, there's so much irony in today's passage, and just, you know, I know many of us really desire both, and so let me point out just a few of these ironies, and, and hopefully that, that'll help you to let go. But the first irony that, that we find in today's passage is this, we think money is going to make us content, right? That's why we pursue money, because we think it will bring contentment. But today's passage in Scripture says money has the adverse effect. It actually makes us desire more stupid things. It was Schopenhauer who said this, money is like seawater. The more one drinks it, the thirstier one becomes. Instead, what makes us content? It's Jesus. It's the gospel. Second, you know, another irony that we find is this. You know, we think we desire money because we think money can buy everything. Right? We think if we just have enough money, we can get everything we want. And to some extent, yes, that's true. Money is a very, very powerful thing, especially in today's capitalistic society. Money can do mostly everything. I mean, it, it can even buy college admissions, right? right? Just as Aunt Becky, right? But you know what you can't buy with money? You can't buy godliness. You can't buy contentment. 
and you certainly can't buy your salvation. That's the great irony. Third, another irony that we find, you know, we equate being rich with gaining, right? The more money we have, we think we're gaining. But look at the language that Paul uses. He says, godliness with contentment is great gain. So if you really want to balance accounts with credits and debits, godliness with contentment has the greatest gain. And fourth and finally, you know, we think that wealth is um, something we have to work really, really hard for, right? If you want to be rich, you have to give up sleep, you have to give up eating, you have to give up so much. We think that, you know, if we want to be rich, we have to work hard for it. But contentment, that's natural, that's passive. Well, the Bible takes the opposite position. When it comes to being rich, the Bible says it's, it's actually very arbitrary. Or to use a more spiritual term, it, there's a lot of providence involved in being rich. It's not just how hard you work, but there is a divine touch behind it. The stars aligning in a sense. But contentment, that doesn't come natural. Contentment, that's not passive. Pursuing God, godliness, that actually requires strenuous effort and intention. And without the transforming work of the Holy Spirit, it is impossible. Look at what Paul says in Philippians 4. As someone who has experienced the gospel, he says this, I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. In other words, contentment was something he learned. I know how to be brought low. Yeah, I, I know how to abound. In every, in any circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. And he says, in all of these situations, I've learned what it means to be content. And of course, he ends with this. I can do all things through him who gives me strength. Now, there's a movie called The Stalker. Uh, it's a Russian movie. Uh, and for those of you who haven't seen it, worried about spoilers, um, don't worry. It came out in 1979, so you're not going to have to worry. But um, in this movie, The Stalker, there's a man who goes by the name of Stalker, and he's a sort of a tour guide. His job is to lead people into a place called the zone. And inside the zone, there's a place called the room. And whoever can go into the room, whoever has access into the room, the room grants people their deepest desires. And so the stalker, he's leading two men in the movie. One's called the writer, the other's called the professor. The writer, as he's going along, he expresses his fear of losing his inspiration. And he says, I want to go into the room because I want inspiration. The professor admits, I want to go to the room because I want to win a Nobel Prize for scientific analysis of the zone. And so they're journeying into this place called the room. And right before they get to the room, the travelers learn something. They learn that the room is not going to give you what you say you want. 
but the room will actually show you what you really want, and it will give you that. They learn that previous travelers, a, a man named Porcupine, he went because he said his desire was to bring his dead brother back from the dead. But when he got to the room, it was revealed that what he really wanted was wealth. And so he became rich beyond his wildest imagination. And that tormented him, and he committed suicide. What a scary proposition, where we get not what we say we want, but what we actually want deep down inside. You know, I started today's message with two questions. Do you want to be rich? And do you want godliness with contentment? Friends, we can't hold the two together because they are complete opposites. Once you are seeking to be, one, you are seeking to be filled, while the other, the gospel, you are filled. And I think the majority of Christians today struggle with their faith because they are trying to hold on to both. Many Christians today lack spiritual growth because they are holding on to both. You know, Jesus says this in Matthew 13 when he talks about the parable of the sower. He talks about seeds being scattered. And there's this one, and this one seed is sowed upon thorns. And the seed grows. But what happens? The thorn chokes it out. And Jesus explains, what does this mean? It means that the word, which is the seed, is sown. But when the word grows up, or when the word is trying to grow up, when Christians are trying to grow spiritually, what happens? The anxieties of the world and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word. And Jesus says it becomes unproductive. If we're holding on to both, it's like pouring water into a bucket with a giant hole in the bottom. We're trying to be rich, and we're trying to pursue godliness with contentment. Friends, the Bible tells us godliness with contentment is better. It's more valuable. There is great gain. The goal of this is not to scare you away. It's not to scare you away from the desires of wealth, but it's actually to show you a better alternative. Everything you are seeking for in money, whether it's security, comfort, value, identity, friends, the gospel promises is found in Jesus. Everything we are looking for in money is found precisely in the person and the work of Jesus. Would you trust in this this morning? Join me in prayer at this time.